AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com. And now with the new KDOS 1060 app, Apple and Android users download the KDOS 1060 app and take advantage of the listener rewards available to you. It is a Friday. It is February 24th. He is Bob Kemp. I am Kayla Mortolaro with you up until one o'clock as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll make room for Steve Ashburner of NBA.com set to talk, well, all things NBA. So we'll get into that with Steve on the other side of the break. We'll take your calls today around around 11:30 and 12:15 but as we usually do let's set the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question nba related has your interest in regular season nba games declined with the number of playing games missed this season by key players and we still continue with a landslide yes out in front at 100% of the vote okay um Maybe a little surprised it's this strong, but I'm not surprised at the result. We'll answer this question, get into this much more as well with Steve on the other side of the break and answer it around 1230 today. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Bob had a conversation with J.P. Hornstra, Southern California News Group in the last hour. If you missed it, podcast over at KDUS 1060.com and therefore 2023 Dodgers win-loss total. Over 96.5 wins or under 96.5 wins. Under increasing its lead here at 66.7% of the vote. Over sitting at 33.3%. Actually, over is increasing. Uh, It's trying to catch up. Under sitting at uh, 66.7% and over at 33.3% of the vote. This is on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060. Definitely more questions than usual regarding the Dodgers. Uh, starting rotation, JP uh, thinks that that's pretty set, at least the five guys, assuming they're healthy. The bullpen is definitely uh, something to be solved for Dave Roberts and uh, the higher-ups uh, during spring training, and I'm guessing probably won't even be solved during spring training. Yeah, Who's going to play where in the infield? Other than Freddie Freeman at first, I think there's some – you know, questions of how this is going to work out. Shortstop, second base, third base. The Turners are gone on the left side of the infield. So that's something different. And Cody Bellinger uh, obviously uh, has really struggled offensively since his MVP season. Still a tremendous center fielder for them uh, you know, amongst the elite defensive players in baseball, let alone center field. Uh, he's moved on to the Cubs. Uh, so there's uh, more questions regarding the Dodgers than we've seen in, in many years, at least heading into spring training and you know, be, maybe even beyond spring training this year. Can we really say that the Dodgers rotation, starting rotation is set because injuries are incredibly uh, paramount and they happen often with the Dodgers crew? That's true. Even though I think we kind of know the five guys, it's uh, just what's going on after that. But you remember it was just a couple of years ago when it seemed like they had too many starting pitchers. They had like nine guys competing for five spots. Remember David Price 
couldn't even get a spot in the rotation. At that point, he hadn't declined to kind of what we saw the last year or two. So I think that uh, that's much different than the, 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 the pitching landscape for the Dodgers has definitely changed. Uh, but if healthy, I do think we kind of know who the five guys are. But beyond that, I think it's uh, definitely up in the air. Well, it's a Friday. It's February 24th. That means it's a Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits Friday. And if you happen to be a lover of fish, this is the weekend specials for you. There are five weekend specials. First up, fresh farm-raised Atlantic salmon at $14.99 a pound. Fresh wild ahi tuna at $24.99 a pound. Fresh wild halibut fillets at $24.99 a pound. Fresh farm tilapia fillets at $6.99 a pound. And frozen four-ounce IQF cod fillets at $9.99 a pound. Of course, Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits, not your normal meat market. Craft beer, wine, spirits, and amazing treats for your four-legged friends. Visit them, 2390 North Alma School Road in Chandler, or check them out on the website, Von Hansen's hansensmeats.net we'll have a $100 gift certificate that could be yours when the lucky caller is called upon to call into the program but not yet right this minute we'll have that coming up later on in the program to get things started though I want to go back to the Arizona Cardinals here they held introductory press conferences with defensive coordinator Nick Rollis and offensive coordinator Drew Petzing this week Petzing spoke to the media yesterday so a couple of different things because Jonathan Gannon was also part of that press conference yesterday so a couple of things that certainly stood out to me in that 30 or so minute conversation that they had with the media Jonathan Gannon was asked about the importance of Murray factoring into finding the right offensive coordinator. Gannon was said, Gannon said here, uh, I structured everybody that I interviewed around Kyler, the questions I was asking philosophically, how we were going to play on offense, what I think is hard for defenses moving forward into 2023 and beyond. And a lot of those had to do with Kyler. In my opinion, one of the number one jobs of the offensive coordinator is how to maximize the skill set of the quarterback the other positions as well but we know QB is the position that makes it go interesting here because he certainly had firsthand experience of seeing that unfold with the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of being able to maximize the skill set of one Jalen Hurts yeah I'm not trying to avoid the topic here but I'm probably gonna be pretty non-committal on not just the coordinators, but uh, the Cardinals in general for a while, because we have no idea what this roster is going to look like in even a month or two months, let alone right now with so many free agents. And, you know, they got 30 some guys that are eligible for free agency. The offensive line is uh, not good. Uh, they have, you know, one guy you can trust. And unfortunately, DJ Humphreys was injured some of last season. We're not sure whether some guys are actually going to retire or come back in that offensive line. They think they're going to retire, but I thought that maybe last year. So I have no idea. And then obviously the biggest question of all is, you know, when's Kyler Murray going to return and be able to play? Yeah, I think all of that certainly um, is is not without 
keeping as a caveat in the back of your head. I guess when you're just kind of looking at this from what he has witnessed and how he wants to construct an offense and what he has talked about over time in that he's going to take things from certain people that have he's been a part of their organizations, at least uh, building something that fits what the quarterback can do. We saw that in the growth of Jalen Hurts with the Eagles. Drew Petzing was also asked how they'll run the offense. Funny here uh, in his response, that's a secret that if I gave away right now, we'd really be in trouble. But I think a lot of it will be pieced together this spring and offseason as we move towards September. It's part of the process and figuring out the roster and how these guys fit and what they do well. And that starts with the quarterback. So to your point, plenty of different things for the team to figure out in addition to that being one DeAndre Hopkins the mystery man of the offseason and uh, not really a very committed answer here and maybe he just doesn't flat out know the answer to the question when he was asked about DeAndre Hopkins Jonathan Gannon said I have not talked to Hop but excited about getting our hands on him and working with him if you know what I mean he's obviously a premier player. Well, Austin Ford has talked to Hop. Uh, he talked about it uh, on uh, you know, down the dial or around the dial or across the dial uh, yesterday. Uh, so yeah, he mentioned, uh, among other things, that he had a great talk with Hop a couple of weeks ago, and they talked about their philosophy, or he talked about, he being Austin Ford, talked about his philosophy. Uh, but then again, you've got a situation where Hopkins – is going to account for $30.7 million of cap space in 2023, uh, according to overthecap.com. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure you know, what uh, you know, that does for the trade market if you're going to try to trade him. Uh, we've mentioned before that there are certainly some of the national insiders on network television, uh, at least one. Field Gates doesn't think they could get more than a third-round pick for him. So I think all this is code, whether it's from anybody in the Cardinals organization or me just kind of rambling on here. We have no idea what this roster is going to look like in a month or two months or certainly by the time training camp starts. Uh, everything is surrounding the quarterback position and how Kyler Murray is rehabbing. He was also asked about an update on Kyler. Gannon said he's doing great. I get some updates. He's doing what he needs to do, and he's right on schedule. Then Gannon went on to tell a story about Murray rehabbing Tuesday night around 9 p.m. So I guess that's kind of hitting on the topics of Murray is not the last one in the building and that sort of coming out here in this particular offseason. In addition to that, we had mentioned yesterday about the mysterious injury to Colt McCoy that was revealed on Dave Pash's podcast from Michael Bidwell, the undisclosed injury that he might miss some time in the offseason. Jonathan Gannon was asked about Colt, and he said here he had a little minor procedure done after the season was done, but he's uh, good to be here and he looks good. So whatever that particularly means and when he can uh, suit up and help this offense kind of, you know, obviously build from the ground up. Um, then one of the major things that Gannon, he seems to be very key on phrases and we know like his little moniker there about violence and accountability and things of that nature. Well, one of the other phrases that has come out is quote winning behavior and Gannon was asked, what is winning behavior? He said, well, that's a competitive advantage if I told you that, but as succinctly as I can say it, 
hey, this is what the standard is and how we operate with our daily actions, and this is not the standard if we want to win football games. This is where it needs to be. So, again, I guess if you're looking for checking the boxes off in the offseason of talking to key players about accountability needing to be there, Jonathan Gannon is certainly going to be that guy. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm just going to sum this up uh, as best as I can and as quickly as I can. This is all kind of code word for uh, just vague BS as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not going to learn anything about this team for a long time, for several weeks or maybe even months. Yeah, uh, the roster obviously has to get uh, underway, and the scouting combine is next week. They have the third overall pick, so you have to certainly start to figure out uh, what to make of what direction they're going to go, all the various different holes and needs that they have. Uh, and certainly one of those things here is the youth of the coaching staff with Gannon being 40, uh, Petsing being 35, Rollis being 29. They were also asked about that. Uh, and they don't see it as an issue. Maybe other people do. And it'll continue to be uh, something to, to monitor how this team unfolds and develops on the other side it's steve ashburner with nba.com talking all things nba here on kdos am 1060 in the extra point on this friday february 24th have you downloaded the kdos am 1060 skill for alexa yet dude Alexa is frustrated. No matter how many times do you ask, the answer is male chicken. Once you're ready, say Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060 to listen to your favorite shows. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com. And now with the new KDOS 1060 app, Apple and Android users download and listen to us on your phone. We pop on out to the KDOS hotline as we're joined by Steve Ashburner to go around the world of the NBA. Steve coming to us from NBA.com. Steve, it's Bob and Kayla. How are you on this Friday? Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Always enjoy speaking with you. And, well, we have to start here. Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns. Uh, much to do about when Kevin Durant is going to be making his debut with the Suns. But when it comes down to it, there's only 20 or so games left in the regular season before the playoffs get started. So is there enough time for KD to work his way into how the Suns want to play, figure out what works best before the games become win or go home? And also, does KD's time on U.S. teams with Chris Paul and Devin Booker help or hurt in this situation? Oh, you know, I don't know how much that helps. I mean, you're talking a couple of players. I get it. Um, but, um, you know, it's going to take the overall group. I mean, I suppose the, the familiarity on the floor is better than not having it. I think there's enough time. I mean, I, I, you know, to me, the, the challenge is for everyone else to sort of fit around Kevin Durant. Um, you know, a lot of times when a player joins a new team, it's, it's on him, the burden to uh, make sure that he can fit in without rocking the boat. But um, Durant is so, um, well, it's two things. I mean, he's so essential to what, you know, what's going to come out of this. And um, he's sort of a plug-and-play kind of a guy. I don't, I don't think that uh, his style of play 
um, would disrupt much. I mean, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, touches that, that somebody else might be used to, might be going to him now. But um, I, I think it's a fairly easy um, uh, process for these guys to be able to handle it on the floor. You've got, you know, veterans by and large, and um, shouldn't be that big a deal. I mean, the, to me, the bigger question is, you know, they're about, what, 10 games behind the Nuggets in the, uh, in the West? And is there enough time for them to climb all the way up to the one seed? I don't think so. The math is really hard for that to happen. Um, and, and, and then what does that portend for the playoffs? Well, what it would portend is that when they met, um, Denver would, would have that home game, that game seven in its back pocket, which, which could matter but might not. Um, you know, I think that the Suns can use you know, the remaining regular season to ramp up, but they can – they could still be finding their way and, and making this work, you know, in the first round. When you're playing lower seeds, um, particularly, you know, if, if they can get to a position where somebody is uh, uh, scrambling, you know, up, up the playing ladder, you know, then, then you know, we'll see. I mean, maybe they don't get that high, but they're, they're still, you know, they're going to have, I think, a lot of advantages. I I think they're going to be the second-best team in the West by the time we hit the postseason. I guess that's, that's sort of a... A long way of getting around to that point. I think Denver is is still going to hang on to the number one seed, but I think Phoenix, for the way it will be playing and how it feels about its chances come postseason, um, I think they'll be uh, pretty close behind the, the Nuggets. Sticking with the Western Conference for now, you know, Memphis was a team that you know, like six weeks ago, I thought, man, they've got something going here, and then they seemingly have not won very many games since that stretch over the last few weeks. What what's happened to them? Yeah, I think some immaturity maturity is showing with the uh, with the Grizzlies. Um, they um, they were great when they were on a roll. I think they got a little bit out um, in front of themselves. Um, with their mouths, I mean, you know, you had John Morant yapping about he's fine with, with the West, and, uh, you know, they've had the stuff, you know, the Shannon Sharp stuff and, and uh, um, you know, that, that sort of courtside, you know, shenanigans that, that is merely a distraction if a team is serious about, you know, where it wants to go. I think, I think they haven't learned how to, how to handle success. And as a result, now they've, they've, they're learning how to handle some adversity. Um, I just think it's a it's a matter of um, you know not not having been there before in essence, and I mean they they won a playoff series, you know, big deal. I mean it was an exciting team. It is an exciting team. Um, I don't think they're they're perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I think ultimately it's um, you know this is new to them, and, and they need to take a couple of uh, smaller steps before they can uh, you know have the biggest britches. Steve Ashburner, NBA.com here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Staying in the West, it feels like no one is talking about the Nuggets. They have been the top team in the standings in the West all season long. Jokic might be competing for a third MVP title. And yet after the trade deadline, after the All-Star break, it just feels like... uh, they aren't even leading the West the way that the narratives have been structured. So when it comes down to it, though, what exactly makes this Nuggets team so formidable and why shouldn't they be slept on? Well, I mean, this is um, uh, they've got great continuity, assuming they can have their their guys uh, healthy. 
and Jamal Murray, um, you know, is is back. Um, you know, Michael Porter Jr. is being able to uh, hang in there with, with his various ailments and things. Uh, everybody is better because they play with Nikola Jokic. Um, to me, I mean, it's a it's an either-or type of thing. If Jokic is healthy, um, Denver's a top contender. If something were to happen to him, you know, they're, they're one of those teams, like a lot of teams, I mean, probably anywhere from a half dozen to a dozen teams that if you lose your, your, your main guy, you're pretty much done. Um, you know, some teams can absorb that kind of a hit, but, um, you know, when you've, got, when you've got a guy who's head and shoulders above uh, the other guys on his roster, like Jokic is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's proven statistically. Obviously, it would be a, a deflating psychological um, occurrence if he were to get hurt. Now, I'm not trying to jinx him or anything like that. I love, you know, watching Jokic play. Um, he's surprising. Even though you know his background, you know, consecutive MVPs and a strong candidate for a third straight, which would, you know, put him in Uber Elite company. Um, he's still surprising to me on the floor with things he does. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like a reminder that, you underestimate him by appearance, and and then he, uh, you know, I mean, he just he just pulls the rug out from under you. So I, I think Denver, um, they're doing what they need to do, in my view. They needed to have a great regular season. You know, Jokic has been good for a while, but they've been a little bit underwhelming in terms of their results, and they needed to have this all translate into uh, into victories, and they're doing that now. Um, you know, you guys know what happened though when you when you can have the best record in the regular season, and you know you still run smack into something, um, you know, in the playoffs. So that's uh, that's probably what all the West uh, competitors with Denver are hoping for. That okay, you get that number one seed, but we still might be able to shock you and maybe not even let it get to a game seven if you need that. The Warriors. I'm going to assume that Steph is healthy and comebacks for, can come back for the postseason. But do they just suddenly snap their fingers and start guarding somebody once the playoffs start? Because they certainly <laughs> haven't guarded anybody so far. Yeah, that's a great point, Bob. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, people are, are pronouncing the uh, the Warriors uh, dynasty over. Um, I'm seeing that a lot lately, and I'm wondering whether they can just you know rally it again. Uh, when they hear the playoff bell, that's uh, that's not easier. That's not easy to do, and it gets harder to do um, as some of your players get a little more advanced in age. And they've got a, they've got a little bit of a split. They've got you know these guys that are long in the tooth with uh, with Steph and Clay and Draymond, and then you've got guys that necessarily haven't haven't proven they can do it on their own. I mean uh, Jordan Poole, um, you know how much can he do it when the expectations are actually on him and not on the other guys. Uh, that I mentioned. So, um, yeah, I'm not so sure they're going to be able to make the the long climb through the uh, through the West and uh, and put themselves in a in a position to uh, to repeat. Now, you know, uh, Curry is buying himself time. I mean, he'll have fewer miles and he'll be fresher uh, than if he had played straight through. And you know, assuming that he come back healthy, I mean, that's a good thing. You know, there's really no downside for him to miss these games, other than the fact that. You know they're they're below 500 right now and uh, and pretty far down in the standings, which means you know your route to anything meaningful in the springtime is is tougher. 
Steve Ashburner, NBA.com, here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. So the Hawks let go of Nate McMillan, their head coach, and it appears that Quinn Snyder is now becoming the leading candidate to take that job. When it comes to this Hawks squad, though, you also have Trey Young. You traded for DeJounte Murray. You know, what's kind of the future surrounding this Atlanta team and how to make this a competitive team in the East moving forward? Well, I think player accountability is the number one thing. I would have said that the day before Nate McMillan got fired, and I say it now in the in the aftermath. I mean, yeah, you, you change a coach. They did that once. They got rid of Lloyd Pierce, and and that was supposed to be the move that would um, instill some, uh, I don't know, reflections in a mirror in, in the players they have there. But, you know, that didn't really change. I mean, Trey Young remains headstrong and difficult to, to manage now with, two straight coaches, and, you know, John Collins, it seems like all he ever talks about, whether he has a contract or not, is ending up playing elsewhere. And, you know, with all the, all the players that moved at the trade deadline, John Collins is still with the Atlanta Hawks. So, I mean, maybe accept the fate and try to do what you can to make that the best situation. Um, you know, I just I just think that that, that, that roster needs to own um, some of this disappointment since they made it to the East Finals a couple of years back. And, uh, and it's not just going to be able to be fixed by, by changing, you know, the guy on the sidelines in the, uh, in the fleece top or whatever these coaches wear now. So it's, um, yeah, Trey Young, I mean, Trey Young may likely end up elsewhere. I, I think that the, uh, the lease now is pretty short for any um, stubbornness and, um, you know, prima down a ways on his part. The Bucks, uh, Giannis not expected to play tonight. Certainly, the betting market reflects that. Uh, just a small favorite against Miami, uh, and you know, Giannis, I'm guessing, is probably not going to play against the Suns on Sunday, unfortunately. But the Bucks intact. They, you know, before Giannis went down with the injury, before the break, had won 12 in a row. Have they kind of figured things out here? Well, I think it still hinges on Chris Middleton. Um, you know, they they tampered Chris Middleton. You know, uh, you know, almost all the way to the All-Star break. I mean, he he started to make progress, and that was good. And they were mindful that he had had wrist surgery, and he, of course, was lost in the in the playoffs last year um, against Chicago with a uh, a twisted knee, and that I think hurt them against Boston in the next round. And so they were really cautious and, and brought Middleton along slowly, and he was making strides, and then all of a sudden seemed like there was some unexpected regression and and he didn't play the game before the all-star break so you know i know he practiced when they reconvened um since then but to me it's middleton if you take you know the the second best player on that team and i say that with all due respect for uh, drew holiday as well but clearly middleton is um you know offensively he's uh, he's their release valve uh, when you know you can't count on Giannis's um, you know shooting anything beyond at the rim, um, uh, you know. So I think you take Middleton out of that equation, and the Bucks become you know a lot lot less formidable. So I think it's gonna it's gonna be a matter of what we see from Chris uh, between now and the start of the postseason. Um, and it, you know it sounds terrible because it means you're taking Giannis for granted and you're relying on. You know, a uh, 34-year-old uh, uh, Brook Lopez to not just you know gut out the regular season, which he didn't do last year, but also continue this play into the postseason. But um, 
Yeah, to me, it, it, that's the key, Middleton with Milwaukee. Adam Silver, he's been a big advocate for having this in-season group stage type tournament. Uh, in your opinion, is this a smart way to try to drum up interest for the NBA? And would this reflect in having more games for the players to play in? Or would the in-season tournament also be reflected into this 82-game schedule? I'm not a soccer fan. Um, and so this in-season tournament stuff, I don't really know what to make of it. To me, it sounds like something that might cannibalize interest in your traditional playoffs that come at the end of your season. So, um, you know, I haven't spent any time on it, but I hear it thrown out there from time to time. And I'm like, wait a minute. We hear too much about players feeling overworked, but now you're going to insert this thing that they're either going to, you know, take super seriously and peak for, and that'll steal from the the, uh, regular season. Um, you're going to promote it so much that now your regular playoffs, you know, seem like chopped liver. I, I don't get that at all. Right now, I think the NBA's got got two problems, and and one is when you don't have stars showing up for games with the load management. The other problem is when you have all the stars showing up for a game, and that's the All Star game. So I mean, they're, <laughs> they're both pretty uh, pretty challenging to address, and uh, I think that the the league, and nobody listens to me, but I think that the league would be better off spending its time on addressing those two things than uh, pushing forward on, on uh, any sort of mid-season tournament. I'm definitely listening to you on those things, but I don't know how much clout I have, so I'll, I'm trying to help you here, Steve, so there we go. Uh, the trade right. deadline, more than a couple weeks uh, go now, and obviously the Durant move stole off most of the Thunder, no pun intended, because the Suns are playing the Thunder tonight, I guess. But uh, anyway, uh, was there another deal other than Durant that was made that you uh, think is kind of a sneaky move that could really uh, increase a team's chances in the postseason? Boy, um, I don't know. I think, you know, I think since we have moved on, I mean, you know, it, I guess it comes down to your opinion about Dallas with Kyrie Irving and uh, Luka Doncic. Um, uh, the the ability to throw a second elite offensive player at um, teams' defenses, that, that's, that's something. I mean, if there's there too much overlap or redundancy or a need to, uh, to split the basketball, you know, that's something else. So I'm not sure that that, um, you know, really, uh, I guess I, I'm more skeptical than, than the people, obviously, that made the move uh, for the Mavericks or, you know, some of the, the experts that somehow see uh, Irving as a great um, uh, alternative for, for Doncic and makes Doncic better by asking a little less from him. Um no, I don't. I don't know that any of these things. I mean, obviously, we're all eager to see Durant with Phoenix and and what that means. You know, both for the, the the potency of that of that offense and you know what what sort of slippage they might experience defensively or in terms of depth as a result of that deal. I think I think that's where most of our our eyes will be focused. Steve Ashburner, NBA.com. Before we let you go, kind of one more question on the overview of the NBA. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for the league that scoring points just continues to be on the rise and defense sometimes is like less than optional? Well, they've taken um, defense out of it by by restricting, you know, a lot of the physical play and, and the contact and impeding the offensive players. Um, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff held down scores, 
but it also wasn't very um, sightly. It was it was rather unsightly uh, back in the '90s, for instance, when you had when you had that stuff. Um, but in cheap points, uh, you know, they're like empty calories, you know, to me. And uh, I know my way around empty calories, so you know, hear me out on this. Um, I, I just uh, my biggest beef is that they they the reliance on the three point shot. I just think that it's it's imposed the sameness on games. A um, it doesn't differentiate players. To me, most players when they launch a three point shot. They mostly look the same. Now, some guys do it from farther out, like Lillard and Curry. But otherwise, I mean, a three-point shot's a three-point shot. And what you lose, in my opinion, is a lot of the individuality that has shown up historically in the game inside that arc from the mid-range. I mean, you have Dominique Wilkins, Julius Irving, Bernard King, um, you know, Sidney Moncrief. You had guys who, you know, did their thing with signature moves and, and in different ways. And, and the, there was more diversity in, in how the game was played. Um, and I, and I, I miss that, to be honest with you. I think the, um, uh, you know, the, just firing from outside, sometimes it feels like I'm watching a, uh, a ski ball game. And, uh, you know, there's, there's also the, I, I get tired of seeing guys miss three pointers. You can say that making, 33% of your threes is the equivalent of making 50% of your twos. That's the math that started this whole mania. But um, when you're making 50% of your twos, you're only missing half your shots. If it's 33% of your threes, you're missing two-thirds of your shots. And so I think you have to sit there as a fan and watch these additional misses. And what does that do? Does it kick out a long rebound, which fuels the other team's fast break? Is it, does it create more opportunities for second-chance points? I don't know. I mean, I haven't really seen much analytical study of what happens with all these three-point misses. I just know that when I, when I see teams, you know, boldly miss uh, three-pointers and even more so recklessly veer away from the basket on a fast break to kick the ball outside or even dribble it outside and turn around and shoot a three on a fast break. You know, I know I'm not watching, um, you know, traditional, um, I don't know how to term it, hyper-competitive. It just seems silly when when everything that, that basketball was about was your nearest shot is your best shot. And they still tell you, yeah, the shot's at the rim, layups and dunks. Well, that's fine, but they've, they've sort of dug a moat between those and the three-point shots, and, and I think that they've... They threw out, you know, a lot of good stuff when when they uh, they cleared the way for that moat. Steve, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, and we'll be doing it again as the playoffs kick into gear. Sounds good, guys. Thank you once again, Steve Ashburner. There, NBA.com. Uh, boy, what an answer there at the end. Yeah, uh, I think it's safe to say that Steve and I have a similar philosophy. <laughs> so, there we go. Yeah, you know, uh, well, first of all, you can tell that he's thought a lot about it. But second of all, that's true. He's 100% right that analytics here has played so much into this, right? So 33% of your threes equates to the same thing as 50% of the twos. But what does it do to the eye for the fan that's watching the game? We're seeing a lot of clanks. And then the thought process there go is, well, how much money are these guys making to clank it? And and so then you just kind of get into this whole, uh, what am I watching? And just the whole aesthetics of it, as he mentioned, uh, 
maybe has turned some people off. I, I'm kind of curious about that um, and, and what he was kind of going into on all of that. Yeah, not everybody's Lillard. Uh, you, know, you can shoot, shoot, you basically take a shot from half court and you think it might actually go in. <laughs> we'll get into much more in the extra point here on KDOS AM 1060. James Out West featuring Ryan Brooks brings NFL, NBA, and local sports talk to you Monday nights at 7 here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com. And now Apple and Android users download the new KDOS 1060 app and take advantage of the listener rewards available to you. If you missed Steve Ashburner joining us in the last segment from NBA.com, you can podcast over at KDOS1060.com. And I want to carry on one of the points that he was making in terms of just kind of the amount of points that has uh, kind of driven itself here in the NBA game and just the, as he called it, the moat that has been built between three-pointers and dunks and layoffs and that mid-range game has been eliminated. Now, what's fascinating here is I saw this from phnx.com. They covered the Suns and diving into mid-range assassins is what they called them. You know, Devin Booker has a really good mid-range game. Chris Paul has a really good mid-range game. Well, now adding Kevin Durant, he doesn't shy away from the mid-range game, and the numbers back it up here. According to uh, Cleaning the Glass here from phnx.com, Kevin Durant, his mid-range frequency, he shoots it at 60% and he is in the 100th percentile. Uh, In addition to that, Devin Booker shoots it at 50%. He's in the 98th percentile. Chris Paul shoots it at 59%, the 97th percentile. And maybe to the uh, annoyance of fans, DeAndre Ayton also has a mid-range game. He shoots it at a 56% frequency, and he's in the 99th percentile. So certainly uh, the Suns maybe are the one team that kind of buck that trend. Absolutely they are, no question. And you know, just the general bottom line here is that uh, you know, points are way up. And you know, last night, for example, I might be missing somebody here, but I know there were at least two guys that scored 40 or more points last night. And Miles Turner uh, was one of them. And I don't consider him to be that good a player. I know he's on the trade, you know, he's on the trade rumors like every 20 minutes, and they actually extended this contract in Indiana here recently. Lori Marketing, uh, you know, who plays of course played for the U of A, he has offensive skills. He had 43 last night. It seems like, you know, somebody scores 40, you just kind of uh, you know, don't even bat an eye at this point. Yeah, I mean, what Donovan Mitchell there had a stretch where he was just rattling off 40-point games. And to your point, uh, Laurie Markinen scored 43 last night, uh, 15 of 18 from the floor. You also had Shea Gilgis-Alexander in the same game, not making it to 40, but just close at 39 points. But he's been a scoring machine for the Thunder. Right. And, and th- I think there's a difference, though. You know, Markkinen's, you know, I think we had some pretty good ideas that he had offensive skills. I mean, maybe not 40 per a game in the NBA, but, uh, yeah, he can score. Mitchell uh, is a whole different animal here. This guy's just, uh, you know, I think, a tremendous offensive player, and he gets to the free throw line a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys that are scoring 40 or more don't shoot uh, an abundance of free throws to get to that. 
you mentioned it was at 18 shots or you know for 43 points for you know last night with Mark. And 28. That's, that's a, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, it's an amazing uh, ratio of field goal attempts to uh, actual shots. It's still still pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, and, and to that point, the uh, the Suns now, they are going to be facing the Thunder tonight. The Thunder are coming off of a back-to-back to open up things post-All-Star break, and they lost. Nice scheduling. I bet they're really yeah. happy about that. They, they go back-to-back after they come back, and they play a team that has rested. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. They have to not be thrilled with this one. And they went into overtime as well, so lots of mileage yeah. there. Uh, and losing. they were in Denver last night. Now, I don't know what the deal is. Used to, you know, the one thing is you don't want to play a you don't want to play the second half of a night back to back and nights and so forth in denver in the altitude i don't know what it is the other way around on that well, they won't have that problem here in Phoenix. Uh, when it comes, though, to the Suns, they are playing uh, the Thunder tonight, 8 p.m. on ESPN. KD not expected to play tonight. Campaign listed as questionable, last I saw. But when it comes to some of the things that Suns players are saying, there was some media availability yesterday. Aiton uh, said that everybody's uh, competitive level has risen and, quote, less smiles, more seriousness. Well, last night, or excuse me, yesterday afternoon, was supposedly, uh, Imani Williams mentioned that that's the longest practice, that uh, probably is close to the longest practice we've had all season outside of training camp. They went for two hours. Uh, Durant was in full, you know, basically a full participant and uh, made it through. Uh, I think the biggest reason he's not playing tonight is that Williams also said we'll see how the guys respond. So they want to see how they respond today after the long practice yesterday. Uh, it appears uh, that Payne is, uh, it looks like he might play. Landry Shaman has already been ruled out along with Durant, but uh, they said yesterday that Payne was questionable for tonight. He hasn't played since January the 4th, by the way. I know that there's like really strict rules in the NFL now about practice time and, uh, you know, pads and number of of hours that you can be on the grass uh does the nba have similar rules to all of that or is it kind of what the coach wants not on a weekly basis but they do have you know the all-star break you have to give your players x number of days off i'm not exactly sure what that is and then when you have uh you know the suns didn't play last night so that uh it falls into a different category. Remember, they were the last team to play last week, though, before the break. That's true. We wrap our number one up on the other side of the break. SB Nation Radio is now Sports Map Radio, keeping sports content fresh and fun. Join us right here on KDUS AM 1060. up our number one of extra point on this friday february 24th here on kdos am 1060 online at kdos 1060.com and now with the new kdos 1060 app download now apple and android users and take advantage of the listener rewards available to you brett mcmurphy is reporting here that apple still has not made a formal offer to the pac-12 for its media rights but there's a new contender. Ion Television has emerged as a potential Pac-12 partner, sources are telling Action Network. I remember like 10 years ago, I think my grandma used to watch like reruns of Burn Notice on Ion Television. Ooh, I like that show. Yeah. Well, I guess you can get uh, some of those reruns. Maybe Blue Bloods is now on Ion Television. It I know is. that's a show you like. Yeah, uh, and then sandwich it in between there with some Pac-12 football. 
I watch a lot of I on television. That's actually how I did a lot, especially during the pandemic. That's where I kind of got the. In fact, I didn't watch Chicago PD until I watched that. Uh, all the you know, pretty much got caught up and. You know, in the pandemic, and there's no sports going on, so I, that's kind of how I you know, got hooked on that show. So, uh, I, you know, eye on TV. I actually, I'd probably be, you know, depending on who's playing in Pac-12 football or basketball, I might be upset that they're preempting what I'd usually be watching. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I'm this not is sure. not sure if I want to watch like a Washington Stanford basketball game instead. Some more, some more reruns of Burn Notice from ten years ago. Yeah, bring yeah. those back. Uh, yeah, but, that was an outstanding show, by the way. I like that show a lot. <laughs> um, this is not good, though, if this is where things are currently standing in the contract negotiations. And I wonder if if this is coming out, if this is going to start really uh, changing the mindset of some of these universities that have the pedigree to move to another conference to make them say, you know what, we're going to more closely investigate being in a different conference well if it's smu and san diego state uh you know being preempted by burn notice or whatever in television is better than what they have now uh you know smu is in the aac gonna move to the big 12 supposedly at some point and you know the big 12 doesn't have a television contract i mean they've got you know, some stuff with networks they've got this ridiculous thing they have uh, with, in my opinion, ridiculous thing, uh, you, there's too many packed uh, big. Excuse me, too many Big 12 basketball games that's on the pay-per-view ESPN format, and uh, like Texas and Baylor the other night uh, was that last week, I guess it was. But recently, yeah, you know, that, that was game. That was a pay-per-view game and not on regular television. So, yeah, you know, if you can just get on regular television, I would think that's to your benefit. I guess I was more thinking of like an Oregon and a Washington having the conversation to try to to move on to like the Big Ten so that, you know, not necessarily new teams coming in, but teams that are currently been part of that foundation saying this is going in the wrong direction. We can certainly explore this in our number two of the Extra Point, which is coming up on the other side of the break here on KDUS AM 1060.